Folks, we're, we're getting through Second um, Peter. We're getting into chapter 3 now. It's the last chapter. And with this series of going through Second Peter, we've been looking at our faith, the faith that you and I have in Jesus, and the existence of that faith in a hostile world. You say, yeah, George, it is pretty hostile. I mean, I look at the news every day, and I'm just kind of shocked, and this is happening. Yeah, but I'm not talking about that hostility. There are actually three threats that we've been looking at here. We're going to look at the third one today that would actually affect your faith far more than what's going on outside in society or what's going on in politics or any of that. There are actually three threats. The first one we saw was the ignorance of your salvation and what salvation does in your life and what your response should be because of that salvation. We saw that in chapter 1. We saw the second threat in chapter 2, and that is false teachers. And I'm not talking about Mormons, and I'm not talking about Jehovah Witnesses, and I'm not talking about another religion like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. I'm talking about false teachers who rise up from within the church and lead you astray and lead you away from the gospel. And so we talked about that in chapter 2. Now we come to chapter 3, and Peter is going to turn his attention now to another topic. And this is really where we really need to think for a moment, because there is a third threat to your faith. See, just by definition, faith, faith is trusting in something hoping for something. Faith is trusting in Christ to do something for you, to bring forgiveness and to give you a hope later on. And to attack that is not just deceiving you about salvation or having false teachers deceive you about salvation. It's removing that hope, diminishing that hope, downplaying that hope. What, what hope are you talking about? Well, the hope that we ultimately have as believers is that one day Jesus is going to come for who, folks? For us. And if you can destroy that hope, you destroy you. Why? Well, we already have talked about, we talk very realistically in our church about that you and I exist in a world where things don't go right. Right? We, ex we exist in a world where, where things happen that aren't expected, where, where difficult things happen, where you get bad reports, and, or somebody does you wrong, and, and sometimes there are things that happen outside of our control, and, and we live in that kind of world. And one of the things that gets you through those difficult times is hope, right? Hope in who? Jesus and what he's promised you. And what he said would be there for you later. But if you remove that hope, there's nothing to carry you through life then, is there? In fact, isn't that kind of like what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians? Like if there was no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if there was no salvation, then we need to just live each day like there's no tomorrow. And those of us who had a hope in something that's not real, we're the most 
pitiful of men, he says. See, that's the third threat. It's actually a very big threat. Remove the hope. And that's what Peter is going to address here in this third chapter. He's going to address what we know is the promise. It's a promise, right? That I'll come back for you. I'll come back for you. That's the promise that you and I need to have each day. Now, now the problem is, is we live in a world that really doesn't care about your promise. To be honest with you, we live in a world that scoffs at your promise, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look at nine verses in chapter 3. I want you to read those along with me. Look at what Peter writes. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord, our Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that, the, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to talk about this issue of the promise and talk about the threat to that promise today. And we're going to try to walk away with something to help us kind of shore up our faith and our hope today. So we're going to take this and we're going to divide it into four sections. Here's the first section. We're going to see it in verses 1 to 2. It's a reminder. Look at what he says there in verses 1 to 2. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. We just so happen to have both epistles. We have 1 Peter, and now we have 2 Peter here. And in both epistles, he's trying to do what? He's trying to remind you of truths. He's trying to stir up things for you. And so here's what I want you to see. Peter wants to stir up your mind with reminders of God's word. He wants to stir up your mind with reminders of God's word. See, you and I, we can't live our lives just going it on our own. You need to be constantly reminded, constantly refreshed concerning what God wants for you. And that's actually a good thing. We've talked about that before. I mean, there are, there, like for instance, I fly a lot, so it's really good to know that the pilot who's sitting up front in the cockpit spends a lot of time in a flight simulator, what? 
refreshing his skills, especially when some circumstance might happen. He knows how to handle it, right? That's really comforting. Like, have you ever been on a plane and they go through turbulence and you're flying out of the seat, hitting your head on the top? It's a comfort when you're holding your head because it's aching to know that the guy up front knows how to fly through that, right? Because he's been what? Refreshed. Reminded. It's the same thing for you and I. As we go through life, as we face the things that we're facing, we need to be what, folks? Our minds need to be stirred up with reminders of God's word. Now, I think it's interesting. Did you catch that little phrase there? He talked about your mind. Look at what he says there, verse 1. Which I stir up your pure minds. All right, stop for a moment. All right, think about this for a moment. We joked about this earlier in Sunday school. We, we said if we took one of our folks in Sunday school and we had a machine that put up everything that he thought about this week up on his screen, would he allow us to do that? Of course, he said no. Why? Because we all have bad thoughts, right? Isn't that true? Now, would you describe your mind as pure? No, not if you think about the bad thoughts you and I have. But I want you to notice how the apostle describes your mind. He's saying he's stirring up your pure mind. How can he say that? Because he knows that you were given a new mind when? When you came to Jesus by faith. Remember, you received a new heart and a new mind. A new mind to what? Understand. Understand what? God's truth. You have a new mind, a new pure mind. And these things are to stir up that mind, to remind you. That's what he's talking about here. Peter wants to stir up your mind with reminders of God's word. Let's, let's go on. Look at me. With me. Verse 2, he says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Here's what I want you to see. He wants to remind us concerning the promise that was given it was given long ago. He wants to remind us concerning the promise that was given long ago. What do you mean, remind us? He wants you to rest in, to be living with the promise that Jesus said, folks, one day he's coming for you. One day he's coming back. It doesn't matter how difficult things are getting. It doesn't matter what the situation is that you're facing. One day Jesus said he's coming for you. He's coming. He's going to set all things right. And these days you kind of wonder sometimes, right? It's only natural to wonder when you see people getting away with things that you thought they never should have gotten away with, when you see culture and society deteriorating around the world, when you see the terrible things that are happening, you're like, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And, and what he wants you to be reminded of, he gave you a promise. He gave you a promise. He's coming back. He gave you a promise. Hold on. You need to be reminded. This is only just for a moment. Only just for a moment. You'll get through this. But we're kind of like kids, aren't we? You know? Kind of like kids going on a road trip with mom and dad. 
as soon as you leave the driveway. When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When's the next stop? When's the next stop? We'll let you know. We'll let you know. I mean, we're going to get there. Isn't that, we're like kids, right? We're like, when are you coming? It's hard being in the passenger seat, right? Because that's where we are in life, right? We're in the passenger seat. And all we have is a promise. Dad's saying we're going to end up at the beach. All we have is the promise of him saying we're going to arrive. I'm coming back. I'm going to set things right. He wants to remind us concerning the promise that was given long ago. So here's what I want you to see, though. He brings out why we struggle with it. Why we struggle with the promise is because we live in a world that doesn't believe in the promise. Look at verses 3 and 4. He's talking about the world's unbelief here. He said, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Man, we live with that today, don't we? I can remember, some of you are young now, so this would be before your time, but some of you are older, you remember as I do. Do you remember when Ronald Reagan was president? Now, whether you like Ronald Reagan, I don't really care, okay? That's not my point. I'm just saying to you, do you remember when Ronald Reagan was president? That's, I'm just trying to find a point of reference, okay? I remember when Ronald Reagan was president, there was a big controversy that happened because Ronald Reagan was a believer, a Christian, and he believed in the second coming of Jesus. Now, there was a newspaper at that time in Toronto, in Canada. Now, Canada, they don't believe that necessarily the same things we do as we down, do down here in the States, and at that time, they sure didn't. And they wrote an article mocking Ronald Reagan's belief in the second coming of Jesus. And the whole point of the article is, how can the leader of one of the superpowers of America world, one of the superpowers of the world, believe in such a myth. Then it was pointed out to them that 75% of Americans believe that at that time in the 80s. Why did they react that way? Because if you are not a believer, if you don't believe in Jesus or the second coming, it just seems crazy, Right? Seems like something you go to see the movies about. That Captain Marvel is going to come back at some point and rescue us. That's reality. That's the world's unbelief. So i got two points I want to say here. Those who mock your faith are operating by their fleshly desires. That's what's going on here. See, he says they are scoffers who are led by their own desires. They're not, they're not led by any reality of what faith is or the reality of God. They just live by themselves, for themselves, whatever themselves want. And so when they hear that you're putting your hope and your trust in the return of Jesus, they're like, what? They mock you. Would you really believe that? I remember years ago, 
you know, I was a young man, I was in college, I was in the National Guard, and I went away on training, and I had a sergeant there, and, and he just mocked the whole concept of Christianity. In fact, he would say that the only people who need Christianity are those who need a crutch. You've heard that kind of thing before, haven't you? Now, here's what happens, though. You listen to that enough, and as you're facing real life, your hope gets diminished. It starts to wear on you. You start questioning, okay, God, where are you? In fact, that's the second thing I want you to see here. That they openly mock the reality of the second coming. They say things like, well, you know, guys, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. People have lived and died since Jesus died and supposedly rose again. He hasn't come back yet. Really? 2,000 years? Here, Peter is saying, since the foundation world, the world has just gone on like it normally goes on. People live, people die, people marry, people have babies. Life goes on. There's war, there's famine, there's joy, there's victory, there's blessing. Life just goes on. Where's your Jesus? He hasn't come back yet. You've heard that kind of thing, haven't you? You're putting your trust. You are something wrong with you. In fact, just recently, I mean, there's a, I don't, I don't watch very much TV, but I read an article about a show that a lot of ladies watch. It's got a group of ladies on there, and maybe you know, this, I'm not going to mention the name of the show, but they were mocking, openly mocking, that somebody said that they talked to God. And one person said, that's mental health issues. That's the world you live in, folks. That's the world you live in. They openly, that's the world's unbelief. They're, they're going to mock it, they're going to attack it, and the thought that you would believe that Jesus would come back? Are you kidding me? But I want you to notice now, we get to verses... 5 through 7. So Peter's going to remind you. He's not reminding them because you can't remind them. They have nothing to be reminded of. They don't believe. But he's going to remind you of the surety of God's word. He's going to tell you how you can be sure that he's coming back. Okay? How you can be sure he's coming back. Look here. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. Okay? Look at verses 5 through 7. For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that had been existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. What's he saying here? Two things. Number one, you need to be reminded that by God's word, all that exists was created. That's what he's talking about here. You need to be reminded, when you, when you want to think about the return of his promise, you just need to be reminded that, first of all, from the very beginning, when God said something happened, it happened. Like what? 
He spoke, and everything was created. He spoke, and everything was created. Everything that exists was spoke into existence by God. He spoke. He created this world. He created humanity by his word. So by his word, he says to you, I'm coming back. Here's the other thing, just to make sure you understand. Here's the other thing. He says here, by the very same word, the Lord brought judgment on the world. By the very same word, he brought judgment on the world. He's referring to two judgments here. First of all, he's referred to one that has already taken place. We call it the what? The flood. And by his word, the flood took place and destroyed all of humanity except who? A handful of people who followed him. And then he goes on in verse 7 and refers to that by his word, everything right now is being preserved until he speaks the word and what? The final judgment comes and this world is destroyed. It's interesting, when you go to Revelation chapter 19 and it describes the return of Jesus, it says that he comes and there is a sword out of his mouth by which he defeats all of the armies of the Antichrist by which he defeats the world. A sword out of his mouth. What? Well, we know from the New Testament that the Bible, that is the word of God, is described as what? The sword of the Spirit. So he's not, literally, Jesus isn't going to be like your superhuman gladiator guy fighting a battle. He's just going to speak the word and it's going to be over. This is what he's reminding you of here. So listen, when you think about when he said to you, I give you my word, I will come back for you. You know it, sure, why? Because by the very same word, he spoke everything into existence. By the very same word, he also what? Brought judgment. We say, okay, George, that's good. All right, so yeah, the promise is sure, and yeah, the scoffers are wrong, but you know what? They are kind of right. It has been 2,000 years. And you know what? I remember years ago, I mean, here I'm, I'm 53 right now. I can remember as a 20-year-old hearing this, and now, what, 33 years later, I'm still waiting. That's normal, right? That's natural. We're like, where, where, where are you? And, it, and, and back then, 33 years ago, I thought the world was bad. Holy cow, it's even worse now, right? When are you coming back, Jesus? What about your timing? Well, it's almost like Peter knows that you are going to ask that question. Look at verse 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Isn't that just, but my lovely ones, my precious children, here's the apostle like dad saying, listen, I know you're going to ask this. He says, look what he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
You could have put it all in perspective for us. Here it is. Two things. Recognize that God's timing is not our timing. Lord, it's been 2,000 years. Why aren't you here yet? Really, has it been two? It seems like two days. We're talking about God, who always exists. He's, he exists in the past, present, and future. Time he exists outside of time. He created time. His timing's not your timing. Haven't you noticed that even when you pray? God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And he does answer you, but he answers you in his time, not your time, right? For us, we wanted yesterday. He's coming back at the right time. Listen, he's never late. He's just not early. Do you understand? He's never late. He's just not early. Here's why. He tells you, verse 9, the Lord is not slack but patient so that others will come to salvation. Wow. You know what? Here's the thing. Because here's, here's reality. You need to understand this. As much as we want him to come back, <clears throat> the moment he comes back, that's it. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I know in my life, I have loved ones who yet to know Jesus. Is that true for some of you here? You want them to know Jesus, right? Okay, good. People did answer that one. Look, coffee's flowing this morning. Okay. Yes, you want them to know Jesus. But listen, when Jesus comes back, isn't that it? There's no more chances when he comes back. So aren't you glad he's waiting? Can you put up with it a little bit longer? Can you be patient? Because he's not slack. You know, I think it's interesting. He uses an illustration here. He says, the Lord is not slack, slack as we would count slackness. So for instance, you know, I know this is probably true for all of you here. I know in my relationship with my wife, she tells me all the time, George, you know, there's this project that needs to be done around the house. And she tries to graciously bring it up, you know, and says, well, you know, you need to do this project. And I'll say, yes, I know. I'll take care of it. I'm planning on that. I'm slack. She knows that, too. She's probably like, yeah, you are. You're lazy. You know, she's just trying to keep from bursting out laughing here. And you know that. You know, we deal with people, and we know what slackness is, right? Concerning a promise. I give her a promise. I'll take care of it. Six months later, I'll take care of it. By the, I'm, maybe I'm hoping that it'll disintegrate into dust and disappear, right? God's not like that. That's what Peter is saying here. God is not like that. When he gives you a promise, he's giving you a promise. He's going to show up at the right time. But you be patient because why? 
He's wanting more people to come to know him. Look, I want you to understand this. You hear people all the time saying, God, oh, he's condemning people. He's sending people to hell. Yes, people are going to hell because they've chosen to rebel against God. They've chosen not to believe. But the scripture very clearly says more and more places than you can think of, he is willing that none should perish. Here's one from, from the prophets. He does not take delight in the destruction of the wicked. So he's being patient. And in the right time, at the right time, he will come back. He'll come back. You say, okay, George. <clears throat> All right, this is a good start to understanding that third thread and, and dealing with it and understanding the hope that we have in Jesus. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to just give you two things. Number one, don't be overwhelmed by the difficulties of this world. Don't be overwhelmed. It's easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? It's easy to get overwhelmed by the trauma that we're facing. It's easy to get overwhelmed by, by the difficult things that are going on. And, and I can't even begin to imagine some of the things that some of you are facing. And you're like, Jesus, why why don't you just come back and end this? And, and we can go on. And, and, and there's this struggle that's going on. I'm telling to you, saying to you, don't, don't be overwhelmed. Don't, don't be overwhelmed. You just hang on. You hold on to that hope. You'll get through this. may not turn out the way you want it to turn out, but you just hang on. You hang on. Because ultimately one day you're going to be with him and it'll be okay and he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more death. You just hold on. Here's the second thing. Don't lose sight of your hope. Don't lose sight of your hope. Don't lose sight of your hope because of the difficulties that are going on. Don't lose sight of your hope because of the scoffers and the people who don't believe who are around you and who mock you. Don't lose sight of your hope. That is the hope that every one of us have here. Right, folks? That Jesus will one day have us. He'll come back for us. We'll go to be with him. That's our hope. I hope that's your hope. In fact, I would say this. Maybe you're here, and that's not your hope. And you don't know Jesus. And I would say to you that you need to reach out to him. How do you do that? By faith. Faith in what? Faith in what he did for you. See, it's not what you do for him. It's what he's done for you. You can never do enough to take care of the stuff that you've done wrong to take care of your sin. Only one could do that for you. Who was that? Jesus. He did it on the cross. He died for you so that you could have eternal life. And that's where you need to put your trust. And then when you put your trust in him, he changes your life. He comes into your life. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And you live with a hope that, yes, you live in this world. This world isn't good, but you'll get through this because he's given you a promise that one day you will be with him. That's the promise. That's our hope. And it can be your hope too. And I hope that it would be. Let me pray for you.